Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Mandy and the F-Bomb. Hey y'all, welcome back to the F-Bomb. So on this week's episode, we've got Madison Pollock, and she is a second year master's student at the Baylor School of Social Work. And I'm really excited to have her on because one of the first conversations we had, besides being pretty deep for a first conversation, um, was about foster care and how she's done lots of research on the intersection of foster care and higher education. And that just piqued my interest because not only obviously am I interested in foster care, but I've got kiddos that were in foster care. So I would love to know a little bit more about that and let y'all get to know her a little bit. So Madison, thank you so much for coming and hanging out. Thanks for having me. This is super cool. (laughs) Good, good, good. So, so you and I met because of Maria, right? So Maria and I are in the Leadership Plenty Institute together, and um, I know that she knows like kind of what you're interested in, and that I'm I do this and um, am a part of the Foster Care Coalition that's starting. And so I guess she wanted to like hook us up, and I'm so glad that she did. Tell me a little bit about what got you interested in doing research. Was it okay? So you're a second year master's student. Tell me about. Is your undergrad in social work as well? So my undergrad is, I have an undergrad degree from Barry College in Rome, Georgia in psychology and political science. Um, and my research really started there um, with a wonderful professor, Casey Dexter. Um, and I actually started this for my thesis for my undergrad. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was an honor student and we were required to do an interdisciplinary thesis. And so I... Uh, really actually got the research started my interest in social work more than social work started my interest in research. Okay. Um, So I got to look at the intersection of the individual, which is psychology and the systems, which is political science um, and got to do kind of a deep dive into what are the policies that are affecting um, our kids in foster care, specifically the kids that I identify with. I'm living through um, this stage Mm -hmm. of like um, 18 to 26. It's called emerging adulthood. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really, especially in America, this like massive identity formation period, um, and is kind of being explored by psychologists right now. Um, but has a particular interest in intersection in, in foster care because of kind of all of the identity things that come with being in foster care and being in, um, yeah, just systems that affect you before you know who you are. Okay. Tell me, I, I want to know all about that. Yeah. So, let's talk. Okay, yes. 
Wow. So many questions. So, and mostly I'm like, tell me what I need to know now so that my kids are in less therapy later. Um, <laughs> this is they an need episode. Therapy. For, yes. That's yes. Either way. Entr- that's the end story. <laughs> but like, maybe they could not be talking about me in therapy. <laughs> yeah. So what can I do? No. Um, so tell me what, what are some interesting things you've learned about that and, and how kiddos right now are being affected? Yeah. So, um, like I said, emerging adulthood is is this developmental period from like 18 to 26. Um, so think like graduating high school till about like mid 20s, which is a like everyone changes four times in that for span. sure. For sure. <laughs> so uh, it really is just is a, is a time to figure out who you are and how you exist in the world. Um. And a lot of people do that through, like, their college years. Mm-hmm. So, like, 18 to 22 is tip, is the typical college years. Um, you see a lot of, like, especially in my generation. So, I'm 23, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, in my generation, uh, what's your passion? Where are you, you know, mm-hmm. how are you mm-hmm. going to align your passions with what you do? Mm-hmm. Um, that's where you get, like, one, the wonderfulness of liberal arts colleges mm-hmm. and letting you mm-hmm. explore all the different avenues. Um, and so really the the key thing about emerging adulthood is this navigation between independence and interrelatedness. So how do you navigate who you are based in the context of your relationships? Reminds me, we had a guest on, Kimberly Millington, and she did um, the whole thing on theory. family systems theory. Yeah. That, so that kind of reminds me of that, like, who am I as an individual but also part of a system? And she kind of was like, you know, when one string gets tugged in the system, right. whether you know it or not, it's putting tension somewhere else. Right. And so so the theory I'm talking about is Eric Erickson. It's kind of like a step back from that. So okay. like family systems theory came out of this mm. theory that I'm talking about. Um, but it's because it's far more simplistic. It's far more like literally the thing that I'm dealing with in front of me is who am I versus who are the people around me and how does that inform who, how I understand who I am. Okay. Um, so for a lot of 18 year olds, that looks like for a lot of 18 year olds in like stable standard families, standard nuclear families, Mm -hmm. uh, it looks like differentiation from your parents. How do Mm -hmm. you, how do you differentiate yourself from how, like I start to have my own ideas and my own thoughts about things Mm -hmm. and my own, um, process of developing, how do I problem solve and how do I deal with my own internal mm-hmm. things but how do I and how do I deal with friends um and so and how do those friends inform how I think about who I am and what yeah. I do and what I like and how I exist in the world and so really the idea is that some of the best and most instrumental relationships in those years are the ones that give you um like uh guardrails instead of railroad tracks Okay. So think like think yep. like a bowling alley versus like railroad tracks. Yep. Yep. Um so kind of this like these are your boundaries out here, like way mm-hmm. way out to the sides and if you're hitting one of these like we're there's a problem. But in between here and there, like you just got to yeah, figure room it out. Yeah, to explore. You got to figure yeah. it out, bro. Okay. I really like that. Railroad ra- railroad tracks versus guard versus rails. guardrails. That's great. Yeah. I'm going to use that in my everyday life. Please do. Um, okay, so so 
individuals that have been involved in the child welfare system Mm -hmm. in higher education, what are you seeing as far as the intersection goes? So basically the idea is that there's almost, it's almost non-existent. So we know on the very like liberal estimation, only three to 4% of our foster youth are graduating with a higher, higher education degree. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and that's foster youth that have aged out. So foster youth that are still in still in foster care at 18. Mm-hmm. Um, only about 3 to 4% of them are actually graduating with a degree in higher education. And that's contrasted with anywhere from 60 to 75% of them uh, acknowledge, like, assenting to interest in mm-hmm. getting a college degree at their, like, in their, like, junior and senior years in high school. 60 to 75% of foster youth will say, yeah, I would love to get a college degree. And then we see only 3 to 4% actually doing that within so, six years. So what's the problem? Right. So what's the problem? And it's this idea that they don't have the guardrails. Okay. And not that they don't have the guardrails, but they don't, they're not either, they're, um, the technical term, I keep using guardrails because that's it's what okay. I'm using. Um, it's social support. So how do, okay. we, how, do you, how do you glean together social support? Okay, so are we talking – okay, so yeah. in your research, the, the emerging adults that mm-hmm. are having some problems with the intersection of foster care and higher education, are these individuals that were in foster care their whole – childhood or um just whenever they were did they get adopted whenever they were young or were they removed when they were they were teenagers and they were teens in care and aged out or is it just the whole gamut of kids that were involved in foster care so it's the gamut of kids that were involved in foster care that are that are still in foster care at 18 okay so they have they haven't whenever they entered the system they haven't exited the system by 18 sorry it's okay. I'm getting really. Yes, sorry. I know. I'm getting animated. I know you happening. are. You are, and you're like, and I want to. I want you're people good. to hear you. So, um, okay. So it's the whole. So it's typically what I'm hearing. It's not kids who have been in care who have been adopted. Right, because those it is kids typically have their adopted the social family support. as that social support. Okay, great. That's interesting to know. Okay, so we're talking about individuals who have been involved in foster care for any number of years or length of time who then age out of the system. Right. Okay. So those are those the those emerging adults, the 18 to 26 year olds that have aged out of foster care. So that are that are in foster that have left foster care at age 18 Mm -hmm. um, are the are really the kids that I've focused my research on because those are the kids that are seeing these massive declines in attainment okay i'm processing all of this you're so good gosh because again i know right now in texas and really other all over the country we're having this capacity crisis and there are there are kids but more often they're teens that Mm -hmm. are displaced um without somewhere to go and obviously that says no social support um and so i'm kind of coming at it as a problem solver like what can we do um, besides, I mean, obviously we need more beds, which means we right. need more homes, which means we means we need to right. support families that are jumping into foster care and right. support families that are working on reunification or families that are saying yes to 
kinship care so that that support is there and they can say yes to these kids that may potentially come into their home. But, but what else? I think, I think it's focusing those, focusing on those families that are willing to take in those teens. Mm -hmm. Um, cause we see, um, I've also, I've also done research just on who, on where these teens go. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we see a lot of teens, um, the number of teens, 14 to 17 that are labeled in care in the last three or four years has massively declined. Um, and we've seen our youth and homelessness numbers massively increase. Yep. Um, and so, and what I've heard from even social workers are, is that, so I'm talking specifically about the kiddos that are in CWAP care. Yeah. So CWAP, um, audience that is CWAP stands for child without placement. So these are the kiddos that we're talking about that are displaced. There's not a bed open for them, whether that's in a home or a shelter or anything. So typically these are the kids that are staying in a hotel for a few nights or sometimes um, staying in CPS offices. So I'm thinking about these kids in particular that I've taught, I've spoken with some social workers who have said, like, we're having a big problem with them jumping ship and just running. Right. Because it is easier for them to be on their own than they think it's easier for them to be on their own than to be here in this limbo. Right. And then we've got other, I've heard another from other caseworkers that sometimes these kiddos want to stay in CWAP care because going to a a home or a shelter or something like that means rules um, that, you know, teenagers, that they don't always necessarily want to um, follow. And in CWAP care, sometimes they get like, you know, they get, you know, Lots of leeway. Lots of leeway um, as their caseworkers are working to find them a home. So, and I'm sure that, again, not being kind of parked in a family um, where you get to build social support can lead to this. And so, goodness gracious, this is what happens. Like frontal lobes not developed yet. We're not thinking about long-term consequences. of Right. And again, like in... I'm just saying that in general, mostly to be funny. I know most of these teens have been through so much trauma. And so it's really difficult whenever you've been through trauma and your instinct is to fight, flight, fawn, whatever, freeze, to think about what your future is going to look like beyond tomorrow. When you're you're in survival mode, it's really hard to think about more than just surviving. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So we've got this problem where teens that are aging out of the system, 60 to 75% are saying, definitely we want to go to college and we want higher education, but only 3 to 4% are graduating. Right. Tell me more about that. Did you talk to, did you talk to individuals that, or did you? So uh, I, as part of my research, I didn't talk to um, specific individuals just because mm-hmm. there were some because of the nature of yeah. dealing with minors in care. Mm-hmm. Um, but we looked at um, some national data that's taken from the na- – it's called the National Youth in Transition Database. They track mm-hmm. these kids um, in what they're doing and what they're doing because kids, um, kids in care that are 16 to 18 are um, federally manda- – like there's federal money for them to attend um, – 
what they call life skills training. So financial literacy, um, budgeting, how to like open a bank account, how to apply for an apartment, mm-hmm. how to um, apply for a job, those kinds of things. Um, and so we're tracking the kids that have received those services um, and then the, and then when they age out. Okay. Um, and then where they go from there. So. Okay. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. So lots of big numbers about lots of individual stories. I guess what I'm asking is like, so then what's the solution? Like there's the big problem. What's the solution? How can we, how can we on a macro level? impact this from what you've seen yeah so micro level is is that social support piece so mentoring um as many stable homes as we can possibly muster yeah um but for those that don't have that kind of kind of capacity mentoring yeah is um a massive piece of that even if it's just being um, someone that will reliably pick up the phone. Um, uh, hi, I can't, like, I don't have money for a tank of gas right now and I have to get to work. Mm-hmm. Can someone help me? Yeah. Um, things that, like, you would call your mom or dad for. Yeah. Um, these kids that are aging out don't have those people. If they do, they're, they're few and far between. And so it's hard for them to... Um, I mean, think about just any normal person wanting mm-hmm. to ask for help. Like, that's hard. Yeah. Um, and so having kind of that stable relationship with literally anyone. Like, okay. Um, so mentoring is a big thing. Um, tutoring is a big thing because um, a lot of these kids are aging out at 18, um, but many of them aren't haven't completed all of their high school coursework to be able to okay. even apply for Yes. So are we seeing as in addition to this, yeah. as kids are aging out, um, do you know anything about the numbers on how many of them are homeless whenever they're aging out? Um, so I don't I don't have specific I don't know specific numbers about how many of them mm-hmm. are homeless. I know that anywhere from 30 to 50 percent of them experience homelessness at some point. Um, between 18 and we tracked them, the National Youth and Transition Database tracks them through 24. Um, so they. Ex- so, and I'm going like, okay, they age out of the system. What if they're one of these kiddos who are kind of being shuffled or in mm-hmm. a shelter or something like that? 
because I'm, again, if you are in survival mode and you're thinking about a roof over your head or food in your belly, you're not your college application is your not college the first thing on your mind. Correct. You've got different priorities. Good yeah. gracious. Yeah, which is which is why we see um, a lot of that that disconnect is not just you know the systems that are in place that make it hard, but I mean even think about navigating being eighteen. Like, yeah. That sucked for me. I don't know about you, but that sucked for me. So. It was a hard couple of years. Um, okay. So, and now I'm getting more like, yeah. So for the listeners who are tuning in and, and listening to this episode, what are some practical things they can do to impact these numbers in a positive way? Yeah. Um, mentoring, mm-hmm. tutoring, um, and understanding that there is a capacity crisis. I think people highly underestimate when we say capacity crisis. They're like, well, just one or two. No, like I think the last I looked, state of Texas is at like 100,000 kids that are out of, out of, that are CWAP kids that are out of a placement right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I could be wrong in the number. I, did, I haven't looked at it recently, mm-hmm. um, but. But it's up there. But it's, I mean, it's not just one or two kids. It's yeah. hundreds of thousands of kids. And so so we need families to step up. Right. And hear me, if you're listening to this and you're interested in foster care, but your family doesn't look like a typical family, that's okay. That's okay. Or if your family is grandparents, that's okay. Or if your family is a single mom or a single dad, that's okay. If your family is two moms or two dads, that's okay. Um, there are so many different ways a family can look and what kids in care need as they're navigating th- this crisis and this trauma that they didn't ask for. They need families. And so sometimes I say, uh, I would say often family, they're the people that show up. Yeah. And so we need people to show up for these kiddos. And on top of that, I would say we need people to show up for the families that are saying yes. Yeah. So that's that's something that community groups, yeah. churches churches are a great form of support. If you if you are a church and you have a foster family in your mm-hmm. congregation. So some ways that not just churches, but if there is someone at your place of business, right. if there is someone in a group that you're a part of, or right. just someone that you know and you want to again just positively impact the kids that are in care, some practical things you could do, and you jump in at any time, but I would say get certified to be a babysitter. Um, and obviously this is not necessarily for teens, but yeah. supporting families and letting them take yeah. a, a night out is huge. So being certified as a babysitter or for respite care or cooking a meal, cooking a meal, showing up to, or, oh my gosh, transporting kids to practice or to tutoring or to school or whatever it is, is super helpful as well. A random gift card to Target for the family. Y'all um, can't see me. I'm nodding aggressively. Yes. yes. <laughs> all of these things. All of, all of things these that, things. And I think what happens, and I know I've said this probably a lot, if you've been listening, like I'm going to sound like a broken record, but I think what happens is that we hear this like these big numbers and this big macro problem. Um, there's a hundred thousand kids that are displaced because we are under a capacity crisis. Wow. I can't be a foster parent. How could I possibly help? 
But the thing is, everybody else is thinking that too. And so what then we have is a whole bunch of individuals who are awesome and have great hearts and want to help but are stuck in the, what I'm doing is not enough. Right. But here's the thing, it's not going to be enough. You are one individual person and it's not going to be enough to impact the system in a huge way, but it will be enough for that one family. Right. And if everybody just does their own thing that they think is not enough, it can be enough to affect the whole system. Right. And and I'll say I'll say this. This was said to me early on in my so I've been in this field. I was in this field all through undergrad and all through grad school. So I've been in this field for a number of years now. Um and this was said to me early on, do what's in front of you. Mm. Love the person that's in front of you. Don't if you can do yeah. that, that makes a difference. Yeah. You don't have to worry about no. what's out there, what's right. behind you. That's, I love that. Do what's right. in front of you. Right. And, if, and, if, and if the big picture, so like I'm a person where the big picture is what motivates me. Mm-hmm. Um, I like knowing that there's 100,000 kids in care motivates me. Mm-hmm. But if that overwhelms you, love the person in front of you. I love Find that. Find the person to put in front of you to love and do what you can. And that will make, and if everybody does what they can, then the mm-hmm. whole gamut gets covered. That's right. That's right. Okay. That is perfect. Okay, Madison. So on Manding the F-Bomb, um, the reason why it has that name is because I really think that it's the things that just wreck your life that can really turn you into the best version of yourself. And those things are hard sometimes, and I know we both know that. Um but in relation to foster care and this conversation that we've had, what was your F-bomb moment? Um, not directly in the foster care system because I was never in the foster care system. But I was adopted at 13 um, under the best of circumstances um, in the most honoring and loving way that mm-hmm. that could be done and still felt absolutely misunderstood. Mm. And alone Mm -hmm. and I love my parents so I was a step I was a step parent adoption so my mom is my biological mom um, and my dad adopted me at 13 Um, for a number of reasons and they did it that way because um, in state in the state of Florida which is where I'm from and where I was adopted um, a child legally has say in their adoption at the age of 13 Mm -hmm. Um, so I was allowed to either like I was allowed to say yes I want to do this or no I do not want to do this um, and that would hold legal weight. Um, and so they waited to do that until I was 13. So I felt like I had to, like, like, so I felt like I had a say. Um, and there were just a couple of things that just broke me mm-hmm. as a human. Um, and as a 13-year-old. Um, and really had to completely redo who I thought I was at Mm -hmm. 13 because I really knew who I was at 13. It's fine. (laughs) Uh, Again, please edit out my sass. (laughs) Um, It's the only way I cope. (laughs) You're like, this is a coping mechanism in front of you. That's what we're doing here. We're coping. I, yeah. No, I get it. Um, But yeah, so um, I... What led me to this research and then eventually my master's in social work and hopefully what will inform the rest of my career, whatever that looks like, mm-hmm. um, is being the person that I wish had been in my corner. Ah, okay. So 
that's very unique and specific. I guess now I'm wondering, and I should I should probably just let you end on that because I just asked you your F mom moment, and that is more than plenty. But now I'm I'm curious um, for maybe other parents that want to hear this, or um, I know obviously you can't speak for the gamut of adoptees, right. but what does that look like? How can anybody? Um, what is a better way for people to be the person? Um, that maybe adoptees want them to be. Right. I think I think it's less about who you are in that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's more about understanding that this is a process. Mm-hmm. And it is, no matter what you do, it is dramatically life-changing. Mm-hmm. And so to let your kiddo have the emotions that they have about it. Okay. Hold space. Hold space for it, I think, because especially in adoption, there's this narrative um, that it's the best It's the best thing ever. Oh. It's the best thing that's ever happened to you. You should be so grateful. It is wonderful and joyous and ponies and rainbows. So listen, FYI, like, <laughs> and I know you know this about me, but I'm going to get this out here for listeners, but that on this podcast, and I know that that is a popular way of thinking but that is not where this goes because the truth is adoption in any capacity in any situation is born out of brokenness so it is the addition and the completion of a family um, because of the death of a relationship or another and so I hear you and I just want you to know at least in this space I totally get that and I'm yeah I'm behind you and so I think it's I think it's holding holding space for yes but giving permission Mm. for the kiddo to have those hard emotions grieve to grieve yes or to be yeah however that looks if that's angry if that's sad Mm -hmm. if that's confused if that's at whatever age they're at to have have those emotions and that relationship still be safe because yeah that's likely hasn't been yeah um I think that is really really great advice so yeah I think I think it's really just holding space for Mm -hmm. I don't think I and I can say this now like I didn't lack anything in those spaces Mm -hmm. um which is why I'm not um which is why I do the work that I do which is Mm -hmm. looking at how do we fix the systems that create the traumatic experiences rather than how do we, how do I, I see the individual and I want to fix the system for them. Oh, got it. Mm-hmm. More than, because I had the perfect conditions in yeah. the system. Yeah. And it's still traumatic. Yeah. Yeah. So. That is really wonderful advice and insightful. Please cut whatever <laughs> you want out of that. <laughs> no, no, that was great. Um, thank you for coming on. And what y'all don't know is that this was super short notice. So thank you for <laughs> making time and coming on. I've been wanting to have a conversation about this and this is great. I will always do this for you. Oh, I love it. And I'm going to hold you to that. Yes. All right, y'all. See you next time. Mandy and the F-Bomb is produced by Rogue Media. Make sure to like and follow us on social media. And you can find our show anywhere you get podcasts or at roguemedianetwork.com. 
This has been a Rogue Media Podcast. <laughs> <laughs>